0: Lord's Prayer. Prayer is so important. How we pray, how we connect with God, how we, what we believe God accomplishes for us in prayer is so important. The, you know, we pray because we believe prayer works. If we didn't believe it worked, we wouldn't do it, right? We believe that prayer is effective and the Bible tells us that prayer is an effective way. So Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. They asked him one day, said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray the way that John taught his disciples to pray. So Jesus prefaces it with this and he teaches them how to pray. But the first thing he says to them is he tells them what not to do. What not to do in prayer. He says this, Matthew 6 verse 5. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. You don't want to be a hypocrite when you're praying. Right? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. In other words, they prayed in such a way that just getting the attention they got when they were praying was the reward for their prayer. That's all they were going to get. They've received their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who's in secret, sees what is done in secret, will reward you. He says, you know, the way you see everybody else praying. Don't do that. You cannot impress God and you should not try to impress others with the eloquence or theological depth of our prayers. That's why I always say short prayers in public. And we all know we've had those situations where We've all sat down to eat and it's just not because it's eating, but we ask somebody to pray and they start praying and it's like, Lord, I just pray that want you to bless the A's and they just start going like through the alphabet, you know, Lord, Arizona, Lord, I pray for Arizona and I pray for baseball and, you know, and, they, and it's like you want to say and Zambia, amen, you know, it's like. They they have a list and it's good to have a list. It's good to have things to pray about. It's good to pray for all of those things. And we should pray for all of these things, but you pray for those things, not in public, but in private. Because uh, we don't want to pray ever to try to impress God because that's impossible or to impress others. We want to communicate simply. And this is one thing Jesus is teaching us here that really prayer is simple. It's, it's not hard. Actually, some of the best prayers in the world are children. Amen. Because they've learned how to trust their fathers and they learned how to ask. So we want to pray short prayers in public, long prayers in private. And when you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. That's us. You know, everybody that's not a Jew. For they suppose they'll be heard for their many words in the pagan temples they were crying out to their gods and they would do it with repetitions, with monotony. You know, it's just like, you know, if I say it often enough, maybe God will hear me. Uh, they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So don't be like them. But your father knows what you need before you ask him. God is not concerned or impressed by the length of your prayer nor the time of day of your prayer. You know, if you get up at 4.30 in the morning, God doesn't say, oh, well, finally, somebody who's really taking prayer seriously. That's what it feels like to us. We feel like, because we're sacrificing, here's here's where we get in trouble. When we do anything that's hard for us, when it comes to prayer, we get up early, or we stay up late, Or we do it consistently, or maybe we fast and go without food as when we pray. It's like, oh, I was praying before, but now God owes me. You can never create debt with God. God will never owe you or me. We are debtors to God. We'll never pay back the debt that we owe because of the great grace we've received forgiveness and redemption through Jesus Christ. We, we owe a debt we cannot pay, and we cannot put God in debt because we became inconvenienced. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. And God doesn't need us to pray. He already knows what we need. So why does God want us to pray if he doesn't need for us to pray? Because he already knows what we need. Because he doesn't need to trust in us we need to learn how to trust in him in other words we need to learn how to pray we need to learn how to bring needs to God instead of the other thing you know the other thing that we do is worry so we want to learn instead to trust God to bring our needs to God instead of bringing them to ourselves isn't that what worry is I'm going to spend time interceding with myself about my problems. I'm going to worry over it and not having the ability to do anything about it. So it's not about the need to pray, but we pray because it helps us. It helps us. We learn to become dependent on God. We pray for our own benefit. So then he says, so when you pray, pray like this, our father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Now, when Jesus said this, just this term, our Father in heaven, when he said this to a group of Jewish people, it was almost offensive. Because it's too intimate. To them, God was high and removed and holy and distant he was the God that, whose name could not be spoken. And yet, Jesus makes him Father. It changes. Jesus came to change our relationship with God. Our relationship to God is different because of Jesus. Our relationship to God as Father is established through our relationship with Jesus Christ God is not everyone's father he is the father and creator of humanity but all the earth is not God's children because some of those children out there are children of wrath they're children of the devil right you don't like, we don't like that. All right. That made you uncomfortable. All right. You're, or either that or you were making a list in your head of, of who the children of the devil are. Uh, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Jesus said, I came sent by the father. If God were your father, you would recognize that. And then Jesus said in John fourteen six. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So how do you get to the Father? Through Jesus. God becomes your Father. The relationship changes. When you come to God through Jesus Christ, then God becomes your heavenly Father. It changes your relationship eternally so that now you are a child of God. Now we are the sons of God, it says. Now we are the sons of God. Our relationship has changed. So now we come to God as father. And you, rep- you approach your father differently than you approach God, right? How do you approach your father? With confidence, with joy, expectation, with hope. Jesus came in the world to remove the wrath of God that is against us. And when the wrath of God is removed from us, then he welcomes us into the family of God. So everything that we pray in prayer comes from a loving Heavenly Father. We pray because we believe we have a loving for Heavenly Father who is working, the Bible says, for our good, But one of the things I want you to recognize, just because God is working for your good, doesn't mean he's working for your immediate happiness. Good is not always happy. Good is always best. Good is joyful. Good is not always easy. Good is not always fun. Good is best. He's working for our good. Good. He says, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. When we hallow something, we we are sanctifying it. We are sanctifying God's name. And when we hallow God's name, we do not make God good or holy. We can't change God by our recognition of who he is. God is who he is, and he's holy and good if you never recognize it. If you, if you scream at God and hate God, it doesn't change who God is. If you, if you declare good things about God, it doesn't change who God is. So what is the purpose, again, of hallowing, of recognizing who he is? We can't add anything to him. God needs nothing He doesn't need our worship. He wasn't waiting in eternity. He said, I I need to make some people to worship me. He didn't need us to worship him. He doesn't need us. It's great that he loves us and he's chosen us, but he didn't choose us out of need. He, he wasn't a needy God in eternity. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit were together in perfect unity in eternity, and they didn't have a need, but out of the overabundance of their joy and love, they shared the glories of eternity. They're sharing the glories of eternity with us, and so we hallow, we recognize who he is. It doesn't mean to regard just regard him as good and holy. Because that's, that's an easy trap. We can say, well, I believe God is good. Or I believe in Jesus. Mark one twenty four. Jesus said, as he had cast out some demons, here's what their response was. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? For I know who you are. The Holy One of God. So the demons that Jesus cast out recognized that he was the Messiah. They believed on him. But that was not enough because even the demons believe and tremble. So how do we hallow to hallow God's name means to love him, to honor him, to value him, to treasure him above all else. In other words, to hallow means I'm going to raise where I place God in my life and I'm going to put God in the first place. That's where he deserves to be. That's where he actually is. There's none beside him. There's no one like him. I'm going to recognize who he is, and I'm going to put him at the first place in my life. And when I do that, I'm hallowing God's name. I'm valuing who he is. Jesus said, recognize who he is and lift him to the highest place in your life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is always done perfectly in heaven. God's sovereign will is always done on earth. In other words, even people who are sinning and not doing God's will will eventually do and fulfill the will of God and his eternal purpose. When we pray, pray your kingdom come, your will be done. We're saying, Lord, we want to see your kingdom As you reign in heaven, we want to see God's rule and reign on earth. How do we see that happen? The way God brings his kingdom on earth is through the joyful submission to salvation and the reign of Jesus Christ in individual hearts. How does God bring his kingdom? Well, he brings his kingdom one person at a time. We want to see the rule and reign of Christ. It's one at a time. Jesus came to bring about the reign of the kingdom of God. So the very first place that God has to reign, if God is going to reign, he has to reign in us. And if he's going to reign, he has to reign in me. I want to to bring the kingdom of God. So how can we say, Lord, we want your kingdom to come everywhere else. We want the kingdom of God to rule all those unruly people out there. God, fix those people. We want your kingdom to come out there. God says, No, I want the kingdom of God to come in you. How's He going to bring the kingdom? He's going to bring the kingdom through us, He's going to change us, He's going to align us with the kingdom so that we have kingdom values, we have the values of the king. We have the conduct of the king. We are honoring the king. So it's so important to us. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, it talks about this final culmination. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from his, our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom. So when Jesus Christ saves you through his blood, his death, and his resurrection, when he saves you, he brings you into his heavenly kingdom. If we're going to see the kingdom come, it has to come in us. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father to be him be the glory. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We need to invite the rule and reign of Christ into our hearts, and we have to continually do it. We continually invite the rule and reign of Jesus Christ into our hearts. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but every now and this, every now and then you'll notice a little unruly part of your heart or your life or your will or your mouth, things that you are struggling, surrendering to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's one of the things we we have to see and allow the rule of Christ in our own hearts. That's beginning. How do we change the world? How do we see the world change? The world changes when people surrender to the King. The world changes, society changes, not through external pressures, but through internal changes. If we want to see the world change, we have to start with saying, God, change me. Change me. That's the the beginning of the kingdom. And then... Jesus said this gospel must be preached, this gospel of salvation, this gospel of your kingdom coming, this gospel of the reign of Christ over the kingdom, this gospel must be preached to the ends of the earth. Everybody needs to hear and be invited into the kingdom. Everybody needs to be invited into relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. How do you get into a father relationship with God? Through Jesus Christ. How do you get into the kingdom of God? Through Jesus Christ. Everyone needs to be invited into the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. Jesus, we invite your reign into our life. And so we have to keep doing that. Verse 11. And he says, give us this day our daily bread. God likes for us to trust in him. He likes for us to have faith. When we say God give us this day our daily need, don't you want to I mean don't you want to in a sense pray God give us this day our monthly need, <laughs> our semi-quarterly need, whatever. I mean, our bi-weekly need. We're we're always thinking down the road. And God says I want you to trust me for today. I want you to trust me for daily provision. Daily provision, this daily bread stands for all of our needs. I I love it in the Old Testament when God fed the children of Israel, he gave them manna, and he gave them just enough for every day. And when they tried to save it, when they tried to get two days worth, it would go bad real quickly. Like before the next day. They had to walk out every day and collect it. They had to they had to daily trust God. It's going to be out there. I'm trusting God to provide it. They had to daily go about the business of trusting God. God wants us to become dependent upon him, not independent. He wants us to be dependent upon his ability to provide for us and to trust God to survive. He wants us to have this dailyness. where we're saying, God, I trust you every day. Luke 12, 22. great verses about worry. He said to his disciples, for this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. That's good news, right? You're more valuable than a bird. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in his glory is clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? You men of little faith. And do you seek what you will eat and what you will drink and and do not keep worrying. Don't seek what you'll eat, what you'll drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom Trusting God's daily provision instead of worry. Instead of fear about it, to trust God about it. That God is my source. Your place of employment is not your source. They are a temporary supply. God is using them. And it's great. God wants you to work for them as you're working unto the Lord. But they're not your source. The U.S. government's not your source. Especially if you work for them right now. <laughs> They're not a very dependable source anyway, are they? See, there's so many other places we look and then we worry. We, we think that by worrying, we're going to make it happen and we never do. We can't add anything to our life by worry. We can only take away. We can only burden ourselves. He says, don't worry. Instead, trust God. Trust God for your daily needs. How should you pray? Lord, I need, you know what I need today? Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Those who don't forgive others are foolish, unwise, and if they are not already, will be miserable. Unforgiveness is one of those things that doesn't punish the person you need to forgive. It punishes you. And I know you've heard this. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and think it's going to hurt the other person. It doesn't, it just hurts us. It's so important that we forgive, and we can forgive because we've been forgiven. As those who have been forgiven of so much, then It should be easy for us to forgive because so great a debt has been forgiven us, an unsurmountable debt has been forgiven us, an unpayable debt has been forgiven us, and yet because we've been forgiven, it should be easier for us to forgive. If we have trouble forgiving, then we are demonstrating that we don't believe that what we were forgiven of was all that great. We're basically saying, listen, I'm glad that God can forgive me, but I'm not going to forgive Bob over here. We're saying that his offense against me is greater than my offense against God. That God should forgive me, but I shouldn't forgive them. Forgiveness is hard, but because we've been forgiven, we can forgive. Now, here's what you always have to throw in this caveat is that forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. I mean, you probably have somebody in your life, in your past that has wronged you and by the grace of God and because of what Jesus Christ has done, you need to forgive them. You need to release them from the hold of that, the anger that you're holding, the bitterness that you're holding. You need to release them from that. Forgiveness is given based on the forgiveness that we've received, but trust is earned. So if you violate a trust, it's very reasonable with someone, if you violated the trust to say to you, listen, the way back is that you're going to have to show me that I can trust you. I thought you, I thought you said you forgave me. It's forgive and forget. Well, not really. It's forgive and remember. I remember, and I'm not holding it against you, but you remember uh, what you did? I don't want you to do that again. So since since you had an affair and cheated on me, It's only right that you let me look at your phone anytime I ask you. I shouldn't have to do this, but I'm going to ask you to look at your phone. And you should say, okay. If you've got somebody that's hiding their phone from you, watch out. Just throwing that out there. Because, you know, I don't know. Here's the thing. I've got on our phone, we have iPhones. And on my iPhone, I've got a thing where Tina can see where I'm at all the time. I can see where she's at all the time too. And she'll say like this, what are you doing at (laughs) Baskin-Robbins? So I'm at the hardware store. It's real close. But since you mentioned it, I think I'll go by (laughs) Baskin-Robbins. It's not because she doesn't trust me, but we are accountable to each other. You know, because I love her, I don't, I don't have to tell her where I'm going. I'm 64 years old. I'm a grown man. I have to tell her where I'm going. But we made an agreement. We're partners. We're one flesh. You know, so I tell her, because I don't want her to, I don't, I don't want to worry about her. I don't want to worry. Or she broke down on the side of the road somewhere. something's something going wrong? I don't want to. I don't worry about her. I don't want to worry about me. We're open and accountable. We trust each other. We trust each other, but we're open and accountable. But if you violate that trust, you have to be ready for some heavy parameters to restore that trust. And it's reasonable. Just one Amen. Thank you. It's like everybody's like, Ugh, "Don't you mind your own business, preacher." <laughs> Forgiveness is hard. It's so important. You you can't let bitterness hold you back. Bitterness will destroy you. Bitterness will destroy you. I, as a pastor working with people for the, low these many years, I can tell you that bitterness will weigh you down and eat you up and spit you out you've it it does you no benefit it does no benefit to your family because you will carry that bitterness and that pain into other relationships so you you've got to work at it, it may be hard you may be really hurt and i understand that you may have been really wronged. it's This is not saying that you weren't wronged or hurt or done wrong. It has nothing to do with that. All of that's valid and true. You were hurt. You were wrong. You were done wrong. It was horrible. It was malicious. It was vile. But if you don't let it go, it will eat you up. So you've got to forgive as you've been forgiven. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How does God... Deliver us from evil. Everything that happens in your life, every pleasure in this life is a test from God laced with a temptation from Satan. Every pleasure. Will we thank God for it and be grateful for it and still in the midst of that pleasure consider God as more valuable than this pleasure or will we idolize it and pursue the pleasure more than God? Everything that happens, every good thing that happens has the temptation. Will we, will we thank God for this blessing or will will we say, look what I've done and will we pursue more of that? Will money become our God or will money be our blessing? Which one will it be? Will pleasure be our God or will pleasure be a blessing? Will nutty coconut be our God at Baskin Robbins, which is the best flavor they have at Baskin Robbins. We've got to like coconut. You have to like coconut. If you don't like coconut, you're not going to like it, but that's a great flavor. (laughs) Will pleasure be our God or will it be a blessing or will it be something that holds us in bondage? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When bad things happen, everything that happens, every pain, because life is filled with pain, is a test from God, laced with a temptation. How are you gonna respond to the pain? Are you gonna trust God in his infinite wisdom and power and grace? And love that this is happening. It's happening for my good. Or are you going to curse God because it's not fair. It's not right. God shouldn't let this happen to me. Everything that happens. Either you respond. Being blessed. Being thankful. Or you respond being angry. Or being, letting that thing become an idol in your life. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, help us respond to pleasure correctly. Help us respond to good things correctly. Help us respond to money correctly. Lord, help us respond to pain correctly. So that we declare our trust in you. Lord, I trust you even when I don't like what's happening. You don't have to like what's happening to trust God. You ever put anybody in the ground? You ever say goodbye to somebody? Every goodbye is too soon. Every goodbye is too soon. So you put, you say goodbye to somebody, and you think that wasn't fair. Said goodbye to my dad, seventy-eight years old. Wasn't fair. I mean, Bob Hope was an ungodly guy and he lived like 95 or something. So you start making comparisons. You ever do that? You make a comparison? You think, it's not fair. My dad died at 78. He was a good guy. What about all these ungodly people that have passed away at 90 and 95? You know, Who was the guy 112 years old drank whiskey and 12 cigars every day? He just died. 112. You think, that's not fair. So if you're not careful... That, that pain becomes a temptation to where you're not thankful to God for what you had. You begin to complain to God about what you don't have. And declare about that God's not fair and God's not righteous and it's not right. And so you have to give every pain to God and say, God, even though I don't like this, even though I don't like this, I trust you. That this is what is best. Even though I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I, you know, because in my head, I think I figured out a better plan here, God, than the one you're working on. Even though I don't understand it, I'm going to trust you, God. And we lay it his feet and trust that he's working all things for our good. The God who is working all things for our good. The God who's working all things for our good. Again, working all things for our good doesn't mean working all things for our happiness but for our good. So deliver us from evil. And there's a last part of that verse. We sang it today. For thine is the kingdom, the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. One well, there's the interesting things about that. If you'll read a lot of the modern translations, that's not in the Bible. It's not in the modern translation. You say, why not? Well, because they found from the time that the earliest translations, like the King James translation, was working off of manuscripts and things that they had in the 14 and the 1500s. From the 15, 14 and 1500s, we have discovered earlier manuscripts of the Bible from, and fragments of Scripture. And lots of fragments of scripture from earlier dates, from the first century and the second century, what they found is that there were some things that were added in. Now, that's not a theological problem for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. They didn't add a theological truth. That's all true. That's all good. That's all good and true. But if we look at the earlier manuscripts, it's not what Jesus said. So we want to pray what Jesus said. We can, you can still say that part. It's, you know, we sang it. There was no lightning that took place while we sang it. We didn't get in trouble or anything. But this is, you know, I'm just saying that to explain that sometimes now, because we have more, sometimes when you'll read a modern translation, it's a better translation It's all a translation from the original languages because there's more information. It doesn't change the theology. It doesn't change the truth, but it it gives us a clearer picture than what they had in the 1400s. It's not bad. It's good. How many of you know it's good to know the truth? So, so here's, here's the take on this. God wants you to have a balanced prayer life. Now here's, I want you to know something about this in this prayer, He starts us praying about the kingdom of God. You see, a lot of times in our prayer life, it is like a warm-up in a cartoon opera. You ever watch cartoons? I, I spent a lot of time in my life growing up watching cartoons. And in a cartoon opera, there was always the singer warming up. And how did he warm up? He always said, me, 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 me right? A lot of times that's our prayer life. We go to God and it's all about me, 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 me. You see, one of the things that God wants you to get about prayer, that prayer is not about you, but it's about the kingdom. It's about God's kingdom coming in your world and in your life and about God's kingdom coming in the world. So one of the things that God wants you to do, he wants you to, he wants you to have a vision that's bigger than you, he wants you to have his vision. He wants you to have a kingdom vision. So one of the first things that should invade your mind, your life as you're praying, is that you would pray about, not just about you, but you would pray about the release of the kingdom of God around the world. We'd be praying for his kingdom come. We'd be praying that the name of God would be lifted up, that we would be living in such a way. This is my prayer. You know, I pray this for our volunteers every week when we come in. This is our prayer every week when we come in, that we want to lift up the name of God. We want to be people that when people walk in here who don't know Jesus, they will, through interacting with people who do know Jesus, want to know Jesus. Not the opposite. We don't want people who walk in here and say, man, I never want to be like that. We want people to actually say, listen, it seems like, at least on the surface, that those people love Jesus. And it seems like they're trying to live it. Now, they're not living it perfect, but they're trying. So our prayer life should be praying first about the kingdom of God. We want to recognize that God is a loving heavenly father, and he wants us to have a Kingdom-first mentality, putting the kingdom of God first. And then he says, I want you to pray about your needs. I want you to pray about your relationships. And I want you to pray about your, re- your response to temptation. Because we all have temptation. We're all struggling with how we're going to respond to pleasure and how we're going to respond to pain. And whether we're going to put God first in our response. In both of those things. Amen? Time's up. Let's stand up. Thanks for coming here today and being with us. Father, we know the great joy of prayer. And Lord, that you told us to just keep it simple. It's not hard. It's not complex. So, Lord, we just come before you and we say, Lord, help us to trust you in prayer. Lord, help us to pray in such a way that we we demonstrate that we believe our Heavenly Father loves us and He already knows what we need. And if our Heavenly Father loves us and He knows what we need, He's going to give us what we need, not what we want. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Lord bless you. Have a great